Thank you, choir, orchestra, Laura. It's good to see the Sharpies here. They left us, David and Tracy and their kids, they left us, moved up to Greenville. I hope you're still tithing here. <laughs> if not, we need to send an envelope up there, but we're, we're glad that you're home today. It was always my desire, probably like you, that I live a life of uninterrupted blessing. However, life does not turn out that way. It seems that life consists of ups and downs, wins and losses, good days, bad days. John Denver sang, some days are diamonds, some days are stones. Well, that was certainly true in the history of Israel. They had ups and downs, good days and bad days. They began in Egyptian bondage. While they were there, the times were hard. They suffered mightily because of the taskmasters. So they began to pray, asking God, God, deliver us. Send someone to deliver us from this bondage. The Lord heard their prayer, the Bible says. He spoke to Moses at the burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people. Then through a series of plagues, Pharaoh was forced to allow the people of Israel their freedom. Three months had passed, they came to Mount Sinai. Moses went up on Mount Sinai to meet with God. It was while he was there that he received the Ten Commandments. But he was gone longer than the people expected, so they decided Moses might not be coming back. They said to Aaron, Aaron, we want you to give us a God. We want you to provide us an idol that we might worship, and he made the golden calf. The Lord was angry, and the Bible says that 3,000 men were killed as a result of it. But at this point, they had come to a crossroads. What would they do? Would they return to Egyptian bondage, or would they continue to the promised land? That's what we're looking at today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I will do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. In verse number one we see the command that God gave. He said, I want you to go to the land of promise. A land that is flowing with milk and honey. Here's the problem. God had promised them this land but the trip was difficult. Their journey 
was a difficult journey. As a result of the difficulties of the journey, they were tempted to quit. I remember some years ago, Dr. Phil Stain, a member of our church, preached a sermon on spiritual warfare. He said, Satan uses four steps to defeat us. And Israel experienced all four of them. He said, first of all, Satan tries to discourage us. If he can discourage us, then we are on the path to defeat. Charles Lamb wrote, our spirits grow gray before our hairs. Discouragement tempts us to forfeit the future. And that is what Israel was facing. They were discouraged because of the difficulty of the journey. And the Bible says in Numbers 14, 2, And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. They were so discouraged at this time because it was difficult. They said we would have been better off had we died in Egypt. We would have been better off had we died in the wilderness. They were discouraged. You know the result of discouragement. You have seen athletic teams when they get behind, they become discouraged. There's no way they can win when they get discouraged. We've seen it with athletics. We see it with churches. A church loses its sense of purpose, its, its sense of, of being. Why are we here? Is it just to go through the motions? Is it just a place for the people to come on Sunday? Why are we here? And they lose that purpose. They become discouraged and they're on the road to defeat. First little church I pastored part-time, small church. But they became discouraged. They lost that sense of purpose. That church no longer exists because that's what happens. Difficulties in marriage lead to discouragement. And if we don't fix it, the marriage will fail. Discouragement. He said the second step is confusion. So... According to Dr. Stain, and I totally agree with him, Satan goes through these steps in our lives to defeat us. First of all, he discourages us. The second thing he does is to confuse us. We become discouraged, and then we are confused. I would say that is exactly where America is today. We have become discouraged, especially as the people of God, and we become confused. You see, spiritually... This country was built on the foundation of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Now, you can't deny that if you study history. If you look at the monuments in Washington, D.C., we know that. But we have pushed those things aside. We pushed our foundation aside, and today we don't even know who we are as a country. I hear people say, well, now that's what makes America America. No, let me tell you, the thing that makes America America is that we were built on the foundation of God. We were built on the Word of God. But we push that aside so we become confused spiritually. We become confused about morality. I hear people say that this is moral, and I'm thinking, well, it used to be immoral. 
or this is immoral and I think it used to be moral. So we're confused about morality today. What is moral? What is not moral? For instance, abortion is legal in our country today. Planned Parenthood performs 300,000 abortions a year. And yet I read in the paper not too long ago about a man who was being fined for killing, I think, a red-tailed hawk, $30,000. Now, I'm not saying that we should go out and kill hawks, but I'm saying things are upside down. But see, that's, that, that's what happens whenever Satan begins to attack us. We become discouraged, and then we are confused, and then Dr. Stain said the third thing is that we lose our vision. And that happened to the Hebrews. They lost their vision. When they began the journey, they had a vision. They were going to a promised land, a land of milk and honey. They had been freed. Can you imagine how excited they were? I mean, after all those years of slavery, after all that suffering that they had been through, and now then they are free, and they were excited because they were going to a land flowing with milk and honey. They even had the Passover celebration as a reminder of God's deliverance. How God had delivered them from bondage. But along the way they lost that vision. And began to think, well, maybe the promised land is not as great as we thought it was. And perhaps Egypt wasn't as bad as we thought it was. They lost their vision. To me, one of the saddest things that happens to a person is when they lose their vision. They lose their vision for life. Saddest words are what might have been. We, we begin with a vision of family. We're going to have a family. It, it's going to be people who love each other, protect each other, support each other. We're going to be a family. And something happens along the way and we lose that vision of family. I learned that early in my ministry this way. I was preaching a sermon on the Heavenly Father. And I preached about the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. And He was loving and kind and etc. After the service, there was a woman who came up to me and she said, Wendell, I know when you think of Father that that is a positive image for you. But it isn't for me. When I think of Father, I think of someone who is an abuser. That's not a positive image. Sometimes those visions that we have die, the vision about family, because things happen that destroy the vision. Vision of the church can be lost. The church begins thinking we are going to reach the lost for Christ. We're going to make a difference in our world. We are going to stand for righteousness. And along the way we become discouraged and distracted and as a result lose our vision. And then Dr. Stain says the fourth thing is we quit. We become discouraged. We are confused. We lose our vision. And then we quit. And the Hebrews were often looking to quit when they were in the wilderness they, they were looking to quit. They wanted to return to Egypt, back to slavery. When they were building the temple at a later time, there was opposition, and in response to the opposition, they said, well, maybe this is not the time. Maybe this is not a good time. But they were constantly being tempted 
to quit. Jeremiah was anointed as a prophet of God. He was called to be the prophet of God. But there was opposition to the message and Jeremiah came to the place where he wanted to quit. He was ready to throw in the towel. And he cried out, Oh, Lord, thou hast deceived me. And I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. And I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. We become discouraged, we're confused, we lose our vision, and then we want to quit. Did you know that there are more than a thousand Southern Baptist pastors who leave the ministry every year? Some of you quit, haven't you? Some of you used to sing in the choir, you love being in the choir, things happen and after a while you quit. Some of you used to teach. Maybe you taught a Sunday school class, a Bible study or something, but you were making a difference in people's lives. Perhaps you didn't think so. But as time went by, you became discouraged, confused. You lost that vision, that call from God, and as a result, you quit. We're tempted to quit. But God calls us to go forward. Moses would not allow the people of Israel to return to Egypt they were at Sinai, that's where they received the Ten Commandments, but that was not their destination. There were some who wanted to return to Egypt, but that was not their destination. Their destination was the promised land. Moses said, no, we're going forward. The church is told to go forward. In Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Folks, whatever comes, ever how difficult it gets, the church is not to quit until everyone has heard the good news that Jesus loves them. The church never quits. It goes forward. Now, because the future is claimed in faith, there is always concern about the future. But Moses believed what God had promised. God had promised his presence to Moses. Now, think of this. When, when God called Moses there at the burning bush, Moses said, Lord, who am I that I should go and, and uh, lead these people to freedom? Who am I? Lord, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Why would he pay any attention to what I say? But God says, Moses, I will be with you. Moses believed that. God promised his presence. He promised his power. He had seen the power of God. He had seen the plagues that God had sent, the flies, the lice, the frogs, the water turned into blood, his staff becoming a servant. He's seen all of that. He believed in the power of God. He believed in his presence in his life. I will be with you. He believed in the power of God and he believed in God's promise of deliverance. In Exodus 3.8, I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what Moses believed. 
But Israel had a problem, verse number 5, For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. You see, there was a problem of a lack of faith. They'd seen all the miracles that Moses had seen, but they didn't believe. And so in verse number 3, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. What happened is that God said to the people of Israel, I want you to go forward, but I'm not going to go with you. I want you to continue on but I'm not going to go with you because you're an obstinate people, a sinful people. Folks, um, sin in our lives voids God's involvement in our lives. Some of you students are making plans to go to college. Let me say this to you. If you allow sin to continue in your life, you forfeit God's involvement in your life and you'll go without Him. Some of you are planning for marriage. You want to be married. Maybe you're engaged. But if you continue in sin, you enter into marriage without His involvement in your life. Illness. Some of you are facing illness, some of you will face illness, but if we allow sin to continue in our lives, then we go through that experience without his involvement in our life. Kevin Welch is a member of our church. He has cancer, serious form of cancer. I had lunch with him this past week. God's been so good to him in that regard, in that he is still going on long after they said that he wouldn't. He's still going on. He said, I have people to say to me, I'm praying for a miracle. And he says, I say to them, I think you're looking at one. But that's God's involvement in your life. Some of us are facing old age. And there are a lot of aches and pains and challenges that go with that. But if we continue with sin in our lives, we void the involvement of God in our lives. See, what we see here is God saying to them, look, I want you to go forward, but because of sin, I'm not going to go with you. And Israel was devastated. For a believer, God's absence is devastated. It says in verse number four that they were, when, when the people heard this sad word, they were saddened. We can live without his blessings, but we cannot live without his presence. That's the reason the psalmist declared, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I can live without his blessings. I can't live without his presence. And so in verse number 4 it says that they repented. And then it says they refused to go. Verse 15, then he said to him, If thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people, 
Is it not by thy going with us so that we, I, and thy people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? God's protection without God's presence is unacceptable. They said, we're not going if you don't go. We'll not go without you. If you don't go, we're not going. Folks, that should be our heart's cry. I'll not enter into a relationship if, not, if God's not in it. I'm not going to enter into a relationship. To a business, I'm not going to become involved in a business or an endeavor that is not approved by God. God, if you're not in it, I'm not going. There's always concerns about the future because it requires faith. But then we see that a covenant was made in verse, chapter 34, verse number 10. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. God made a covenant with his people. Now in a covenant, both parties have obligations. So God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. They said, we're not going without you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. There are obligations on both sides, God and the people. What does man bring? Chapter 34, verse number 9. And he said, If now I have found favor in thy sight, O Lord, I pray, let the people, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate. And do thou pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as thine own possession. Now, in this covenant, what would Israel bring to the covenant? What was their obligation? They brought their sin to God. We are an obstinate people. We are a sinful people. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And ladies and gentlemen, that is precisely what you and I bring to the relationship with God, our sin. When we come to God, that's all we bring because that's what we have. We bring our sin. We are inadequate. Moses saw himself as inadequate. Certainly I am inadequate and you would say that you are. We're unworthy. There's not anything worthy about me. You would probably say the same thing. Not anything worthy about you. We're unholy. God said, be ye holy for I am holy. But we look at it, we know that we're not holy. Not in the sense that we should be. So, okay, I'm going to have a relationship to God. What do I bring? I bring my sin. That's all I have. I bring my sin, but God brings his sufficiency. So in this covenant relationship, I bring my sin to God and God brings his sufficiency to me. And here's God's promise to Israel, verse number 16. How can it be known that I found favor in thy sight, I and thy people, that we may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you've spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. God says, all right, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. They bring their sin. They are obstinate. And God brings his sufficiency, his presence, and his provision. God said, I'll provide for you. And he did. When they were hungry, he gave them manna to eat. When they were thirsty... He provided them water to drink. 
when they were attacked, he provided protection for them. You look at God's provision. When God said, I will go with you, he provided for their every need while they were in the wilderness. God meets our needs as we walk with him. We bring our sin in this relationship. We bring our sin to God. He brings our sufficiency, his sufficiency to us, whatever it is we need. Charles Spurgeon, incredible man of God. Some of you are familiar with him. He preached in London. They had so many people come to his church. He preached to 10,000 people. He had so many that I think once a quarter he would tell the people to go somewhere else so others could get in. Just incredible man. But he suffered from depression. He had to deal with depression. He had preached on Sunday and he was walking back home alongside the Thames River and he was depressed. And as he walked along he began to think about the little fish swimming in the Thames River and how God provided for that little fish in the river. And then he said he began to think about the little mouse in Joseph's granaries and how God had provided for that little mouse. And he thought, God, just as you have provided for the little fish and the little mouse, you provide for me. And he said, and the depression lifted. Folks, when we come to God, we bring our unworthiness, our sinfulness, our failure, and he brings his sufficiency to us. We conclude life is a journey. It's tough. And sometimes we are tempted to quit. And we have concerns about the future. What does tomorrow hold? But God is sufficient no matter what tomorrow brings. God is sufficient no matter what you face. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, you are a faithful God. You're loving, kind, patient, forgiving. Lord, I lift up those who are here today who have never come to know the joy of Jesus Christ. Maybe religious, maybe not, but they've never come to know Jesus and His sufficiency. I pray today they would receive Him. I pray, Father, for others who need to simply come today and commit anew their lives to You. Those who are looking for a church home, they would feel welcome here. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. We give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord, whatever He's telling you to do. I hope you will. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.